Eufy is sponsoring today's video. They reached out to me. I tested out their video lock. It is a game changer. I'm going to paint a picture for you for why I'm so excited to work with them. So you're getting home. Your arms are loaded with groceries or packages or boxes or everything. And your keys are in your pocket. This drives me nuts. This happens all the time. I upgraded to the Eufy video lock. Fingerprint tap i'm inside and honestly i also feel way safer it's got this awesome built-in camera so whether it's a package delivery or late night uber order i see exactly who's there right from my phone there are no more mystery knocks and the best part this thing was such a breeze to set up there's no wires there's no drilling uh, there's also no monthly subscription fees so if you are done fumbling with your keys because i definitely am search for eufy video lock or head over to eufyofficial.com slash video lock your front door, your sanity. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary, and today we're going to go into the history of OnlyFans. I'm going to break down how they were able to grow into the name they are today. We're going to break down how they were able to pay creators over $3 billion. I'm going to tell you the story of their founder. I'm going to walk through roughly the four failures he had before he hit it big with OnlyFans. This is a business case study. All right, so let's be real. The internet has definitely changed the way that we live our lives. You can find almost anything online, including tons of porn, tons of adult content, but OnlyFans does it a little bit differently. Now, it's not to say that it wasn't a smart business decision to get into that niche. Pornography websites get millions of visitors every day, and in the pandemic, they saw a significant increase in traffic. Everybody's stuck at home with nothing else to do. But OnlyFans was one of the first iterations of a company that was gating pornographic, porn, adult content, whatever you want to call it. And it was in a very similar subscription model to what you saw with Patreon. So today I'm going to break down OnlyFans. We're going to talk about the concept of gated content. We're going to talk about their incredible growth strategy. We're going to talk about their founder, Tim Stokely. Um, let's get right into it. So we're going to start off with uh, glam worship. So in 2011, Tim Stokely spent his time partying around the world. He comes from a very, very well-off family. He eventually pivoted from partying to using his family's money to try and start businesses. So he's now he's trying to become, you know, a, a little bit of a, a contribution to society. He wants to try something that may actually end up working out. So the first business idea that Tim has is called Glam Worship. Now, Glam Worship is a website that focused exclusively on financial domination. Now, financial domination is a, a sexual fetish in which submissives give gifts of money to a financial dominant. I don't know why this is a fetish. I don't know why I would look for a reason to give my money away, but apparently this is something that people really get into. So the idea came to Stokely when he stumbled upon a subreddit about financial domination and I guess, guys that were into this stuff. I don't know if women are into financial domination as well. But um, anyway, so he saw how much money uh, people spent on these experiences. And when I say guys being into it, I mean guys being the ones that are 
paying random strangers online. It's, uh, I guess that's what he tapped into with the subreddit. He saw how much money people were spending on these experiences, but nobody was really creating products for this group of people that loved to glam worship. Um, <laughs> funded by his family, uh, he put a couple, you know, a couple tens of thousands of dollars into this business idea, and he decided to develop glam worship, develop the business concept, develop the website, what it offered. So glam worship viewers offered, well, rather, sorry, what the platform offered was the ability for viewers and users to offer big money in exchange for playing out their wildest fantasies with creators online. The performers, so the adult entertainers, quickly took advantage of this opportunity. And basically, it was a a cameo for financial dominance economy that started to grow and blossom. So you would go into this platform, this website, and you would just pay money for whatever you wanted to have access to. Unfortunately, um, it was a mini economy and it leveraged uh, Twitter. So it, it leveraged people building their networks out from their Twitter followings and whatnot to bring them in, bring them into the funnel. But uh, a mini economy rather that leveraged Twitter and Venmo started to remove glam worship as the middleman in this equation. So glam worship was the platform where people would come in and they would start to facilitate these transactions and you'd have audience members and you have creators and uh, that was that was the community. But because now you had the ability to connect with these people, Glamourship, the business model was to basically um, uh, skim fees off these transactions. So of course, if you have the contact of the person that you are paying to do whatever, and you realize that, hey, instead of doing this on Glamourship, why don't I just go over to Twitter? I can, you know, I, we can just chat on Twitter. I can DM you whatever I want, and, and I can you know, send videos or pictures via Twitter or any other Snapchat doesn't matter. And then I can just Ven I can Venmo you the money. So what's the point of Glamourship? Because now it actually costs me less and I get less fees, or perhaps the creator gets to keep more of the money that the uh that the person is sending them. So Glamourship doesn't really make sense anymore. It just seems like um something that can be removed. So so what it started to happen with this new mini economy that was being built on the back of Glamourship is users would view content content on Glamourship, and then they would reach out to the performers on Twitter because, again, the performers basically brought in their following to Glamourship through their Twitter followings and their social followings. And then uh, once they reached out to the performer on Twitter, they would request a video, and then they would pay the performers in Venmo or PayPal, and then they would receive the video. So this basically allowed users to bypass the fees that resulted in the profits and the revenue for Glamourship. So obviously this wasn't great. Um, Stokely wasn't happy with this. Um, he saw the he saw the fact that people were just avoiding and and circumventing the platform. So he killed Glamourship. Um, but he, he wasn't done yet. He still wanted to build something that had some legs to it. So he started a new company and it was still focused on creating exclusive content. So second company he created was Customs For You. So instead of users independently finding performers on Twitter, contacting them and arranging payments, Customs For You handled all of the transaction. But to keep people on the platform, you had to focus on volume. You had to focus on getting as many people into Customs For You as possible. Because again, if you didn't have volume, there is still 
easy ways to circumvent and just go direct to the performer. So he focused on volume the second time and the performers were still not happy because this lowered the barrier to entry into the industry. It saturated the market with new performers and it made the niche very competitive. So uh, the basically the largest performers or adult entertainers that basically could have made this plat or driven awareness to this platform and made, made customs for you more well known. They basically said, listen, you're catering to people that are just getting started, which is fine, but we want to we want to put our work on a platform that favors people that have some sort of tenure in the industry, that have some sort of following, some reputation. If you're just focusing on people that are just getting started, that's fine, but then we don't want to have anything to do with it. So when you have your, you know, your biggest advocates and influencers in the industry saying, you know, I don't really care about it, it's not getting the traction that you want because that that in and of itself is really hurting your marketing and your growth efforts when you know the people that you really want to champion your platform really don't care about it. So Stokely killed that. After Customs for You, he started a business called 121 With. Now 121 uh, With moved away from adult entertainment and then he moved, uh, st- he was still trying to figure out how to connect and create marketplaces and communities. But this particular this particular business was not focused on adult entertainers. So for 121 With, the concept was for tradespeople to sell their expertise on an audio or a video call. So if I need a plumber or if I need somebody to perhaps help change a tire, instead of bringing somebody out and hiring a specialist, which is, you know, it, could, it can be expensive uh, just for a small job, maybe I can do a video call with that specialist and they can walk me through what I need to do myself so that it saves me money, it gives the specialist a scalability because now they can charge hourly rates without leaving their house and actually going on site to do work. So it's a win-win. The client saves a little bit of money, but it also allows the specialist to scale their service. So uh, 121 with similar to customs for you, although different industries, they leveraged the creator fan relationships as well as like the the professional fan relationships it, for no no real reason other than it perhaps wasn't the right time or it wasn't it wasn't taken to market properly. One twenty one with also failed. Still couldn't get the traction, couldn't get the critical mass, couldn't get as many people on the platform as Stokely wanted. So he killed it. So this is three failed businesses at this point. But as you can see, the model for OnlyFans is starting to develop. He understands the power of building community. He understands the power of gating. He understands the power of facilitating payments between creators and professionals and the audience and the users. But he just needs to figure out how to bring all of these pieces together. And that's what happens with OnlyFans. So Stokely took some more time off. So this is again, this is his third business venture. Uh, Well, he's failed with three business ventures. And then eventually he gets, uh, you know, he gets OnlyFans and we know where that ends up. But he takes some time off. He goes back into adult entertainment. Because if you remember, 121 with was just with tradespeople, not with uh, adult entertainment or the adult industry. Um, So he still wanted to get into the adult entertainment industry. And he also saw an opportunity because you saw a lot of social platforms. So at this point, when he's building this out, Instagram is 
massively growing in popularity for content creators, for influencers. Many adult entertainers try and use it to post videos or pictures to promote themselves, but Instagram is banning these pictures, banning these accounts, banning these users. So they don't have a social platform to publish their content because now what are you going to use? You're going to LinkedIn banned, Facebook banned, Instagram banned. Twitter actually does have some adult content on it, but uh, Twitter is not a, a visual form. It's really focused on text. So the best place for visual content before OnlyFans was Instagram. Creators were not welcome there. So this gave Stokely the idea of building a paid social feed like Instagram or Twitter, obviously focused on visual, where creators can earn money directly from their content. In 2016, he launched OnlyFans. And and let's just pause for a second, because let's not forget that most of the, most of us like I'm doing this I'm doing this case study in 2021 right like I've only heard of OnlyFans in the past maybe year so even though now it's 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 obviously successful it took him four to five years to get it to the point after 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 three three fails three failures um so that he had a successful business. There's a lesson there. Anyways, in 2016, he launched OnlyFans. Here, viewers would pay subscription fees ranging from 5 to 50 bucks a month to access content created by performers. OnlyFans received a 20% uh, cut of the subscription. Creators received the rest. And let's be real. Like the, the reason why OnlyFans was a success because of the experience that Stokely gathered from all of his previous uh, business ventures through Glamourship, uh, the company gained insight into to the concept of paying performers directly for special video requests. Meanwhile, the initial OnlyFans customers came from Customs for You, but the business model evolved with 121 with. The early days of OnlyFans revolved around enabling creators to upload custom content. By tailoring their content to their audience's preferences, the creators built incredibly close relationships with their followers, something they were not able to do on any existing major social media platform. Now let's talk about the way that OnlyFans grew. So the first strategy they used was a highly effective referral strategy. Stokely and the OnlyFans team didn't just want people that would use the platform. They wanted people that would, they wanted users on the platform that would contribute to the platform's success and growth, turn your customers into your evangelists. So therefore, OnlyFans created an incentive structure, an affiliate structure, for lack of a better description, that aligned the platform's goals to encourage users to recruit the right people. Uh, the key objective of this referral program was quality over quantity. So I want to, if I have a user on my platform, if I have a creator, a content creator on my platform, I want them to get other like-minded professional content creators onto the platform because they all run in this, they, they all run in these same circles. If you are in an industry, you'll know other people in the industry and you'll know you'll have connections, just any industry, this is how it works. So Stokely knew this and he knew that if I could incentivize the content creators to speak to their friends, their peers, other people, in, in in an industry, they can bring them onto the platform. So what OnlyFans did, they set up an affiliate program, 5% lifelong revenue share. So if you recruit someone, for example, who makes $100,000 per year on OnlyFans and keeps them on the platform for five years, the company OnlyFans will pay you $25,000 on top of the fact that you are still making money from your audience members. So that's 
that's an incredible affiliate program for a social media platform because yes, affiliate programs exist in other industries and in, in, in other ways, but for social media, there's no affiliate program to get somebody to sign up for Instagram. There's no affiliate program to get somebody to sign up for YouTube or for Facebook or for LinkedIn or for anything really. So this is a little bit novel for social. And the the affiliate program worked. This is this was uh, this was a good strategy for Tim and the OnlyFans team. Creators were creating content, but they were really trying to get into other people's revenue potential by sending affiliate uh, requests, invites, getting their friends in, getting their peers in, because then they tapped into that revenue share. So a very smart, effective referral strategy uh, by Tim Stokely. And the second. The second way they really focused on growing OnlyFans is through the use of Twitter. So they created a product called Fanscope. Now, Fanscope was the first product that OnlyFans developed to help creators leverage their Twitter following. Because remember, a lot of these creators, they were either they weren't very prominent on other social media platforms or they were banned from other social media platforms. So Fanscope was basically a live version of Cameo. That's the best way you can describe it. Creators can start a Fanscope session through OnlyFans and have the link automatically posted to Twitter. So then now your live session receives exposure from your entire Twitter following, which is again where some of these creators had their largest audiences. And and to watch the live stream, the Twitter user must click the link and sign up to OnlyFans. Now, this strategy brought more people to OnlyFans, brought more audience members to creators because it lowered the barriers to entry. So new users who could potentially be new content creators or new users who could just be content consumers could sort of test and see what they could expect from an OnlyFans page before they started uh, investing any money. So again, it's all about teasing people into a platform. How do we find ways to get people in? Let's tap into where the people already are and bring them in. I don't need somebody to I don't need to, when I'm marketing something, for example, say I'm a content creator on OnlyFans. If I'm marketing myself, I don't want to have to first get, you know, Joe Blow to care about me. And then I have to get Joe Blow onto OnlyFans. I want to go to, you know, other, you know, John Doe and who's already following me on in, on Twitter and I want to say, hey, I'm also over here because John Doe already knows who I am. Joe, you know, Joe, Joe Blow doesn't know who I am. So I want to bring in people who already know me because it's an easier, it's an easier way to build my audience on OnlyFans with people that already care about me. So the integration between existing social platforms is very effective for that reason because these people already like your content and you're just moving them into another platform with a very low barrier to entry. You're making it easy, right? Now, these two strategies really paid off. Of course, we started off in 2016, um, but these strategies were just ramped over the years. So in contrast to other live platforms, uh, OnlyFans saw adult performers as assets. So instead of prohibiting them, as we know, the company empowered them. And this was empowering a niche group of content creators that really were marginalized by most other social media platforms. So as a result, they never restricted adult content. They encouraged the creation of unique content. And this, along with their growth strategy and the fact that nobody else was really serving this target group of content creators, saw OnlyFans grow incredibly fast. In 2018, uh, Leo Radvinsky, who's a Ukrainian, Ukrainian American uh, web entrepreneur. He built a fortune with a website called My Free Cams. Uh, he was able to buy 75% of OnlyFans. And then after that, the company just kept compounding and compounding. And then now, fast forward to 2020, uh, OnlyFans success 
soared tremendously when celebrities began to publicize it. Beyonce was name-dropping it in her song. Cardi B joined the platform. These are some of the major celebrity events that started to accelerate OnlyFans growth. Now, to date, OnlyFans has now paid its creators more than $3 billion, and they have over 120 million active users. And it's very it's, it's worth noting that the vast majority of OnlyFans creators to date are adult entertainers. That was the marginalized group that they built their community on. But the company is now taking their success and they're trying to build it out to a wider audience. So for example, they just uh, launched a creator fund uh, of 20,000 pounds or 27,800 approximately US dollars to help for aspiring musicians kick off their careers. And they're doing more initiatives to bring in other segments, other types of content creators. So will it work? We'll have to see. But that is the story of OnlyFans from when they started to today. And incredibly interesting and a lot of entrepreneurial lessons regardless of whether or not you're into the content doesn't matter the fact that i'm gonna actually i'll I'll break down i'll break down four lessons um so we can sort of itemize some of the main things that we that we saw Tim do and that led to OnlyFans success that are basically industry agnostic, transferable to any industry, any type of uh, startup or entrepreneur. Uh, let's let's go into it. So four lessons from OnlyFans. Uh, Tim Stokely had multiple failures before OnlyFans success. Most overnight successes take years, and that's true in any business started by almost anybody. So just a lesson there and something to think about if you are doing your own thing. Another lesson, if something is not favored by a larger market, sometimes there's a reason for that, but there could also be a potential or an opportunity for business. So Tim saw a need for a marginalized market segment. All these adult entertainers were kicked off other social media platforms. He gave them a platform. He gave them a community. And that's what that's what was the core that built OnlyFans. So look for underserved, underappreciated market segments. It's a smart idea to see if you can find a way to tap into that and to create a product, a platform, and a community that helps an underserved segment. Third lesson, growth strategy. Get your customers to sell for you. OnlyFans launched a highly lucrative referral program which brought people onto their platform, allowed content creators to bring peers into their platform. Money talks. Align your, align your audience or your customer rather, align what customers want with your business growth goals. What do customers usually want? Well, there's a variety of things, but I mean, for content creators, revenue, money, like they need to make money. This is what they do for a living. Any content creator is trying to find new ways to make money, especially when you're first starting to create content and you're starting to build a name for yourself. So what OnlyFans did, they just created an affiliate program that tied the goals and objectives of the content creator to the goals and objectives of the business. You bring in more people, that's a business goal. You bring in more content creators, that's a business goal. We'll pay you. We'll pay you money. That's 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 a content creator objective and goal. So very straightforward. Not many other social media companies did this. And OnlyFans basically just wasn't greedy. And uh, fourth lesson, the fact that they leveraged existing Twitter followers. This is a smart marketing strategy. And let me sort of describe how you can conceptualize and think of this for any business. So what OnlyFans did, remember they just said, okay, we're going to let you access your Twitter following. The lesson here is if you're trying to market anything to anybody, make make the marketing and make the make the ask of the individual as simple as possible. What do I mean what do I mean by that? So what 
OnlyFans did is they said, okay, we know that your audience is already on Twitter. They already like you. All we have to do is get them from Twitter to OnlyFans. As opposed to, we're going to get people to know about you who've never heard about you, and then we're going to move you to OnlyFans. So they just said, let's just tap into what's already there. So this, so let's bring this out to other business use cases. If you're trying to find customers for your product, if you're trying to, I'll, I'll use, you know, I run a podcast. I'll talk about that. So when I'm trying to get listeners to my podcast, who do I try and reach out to? Who do I try and advertise against? I usually advertise to one of one of two segments. I'll advertise to my audience on other social media platforms that may have not heard about my podcast because I know they already like me. I just need them to know that I have a podcast. Or I'll advertise to listeners of other podcasts because I know they already like podcasts. They just don't know about me. What I don't want to do and I don't really care to do is I don't really care to advertise to people that don't know me, don't like me, don't know or listen to podcasts because then I have to get them to like me and then I have to get them to like podcasts. It's much easier to market to somebody who already likes me or to already who already likes podcasts because there's only one more step that I have to do. If I'm trying to find net new people, then there's two steps. I got to get them into me and into podcasts and it's a bigger lift. It's a harder sell. So just make it as easy as possible and tap into existing, tap into existing followings, existing communities, existing customers. Another strategy only fans could have done is they could have said, well, let's just cross, and they probably actually do do this. Um, they, they can just cross promote between creators. So if you already are subscribed to, you know, content creator one on OnlyFans, well, why don't you go check out content creator two on OnlyFans? Because you obviously like this type of content. So again, it's all about just tapping into adjacent communities so that you don't have to make a big ask and you don't have to move somebody too far to get them involved in your product or service or business or to consume your content. I hope that makes sense. And last lesson, I cannot reinforce this enough. Tim uh, started, I, I thought it was four, I guess when I'm you know going through this case study again, I, I put this together a while back. It's actually three businesses. I'm sure there was other stuff that he didn't mention just because it honestly was probably just such a, a massive failure that he didn't, uh, he hasn't even gone on on record publicly about talking it, talking about it uh, or building it, but three notable failures. So if you don't give up, the timing will eventually be right. What do I mean by that? Well, Tim launched multiple businesses. Any of those uh, could have hit, could have worked out, could have failed. And also one of the reasons why OnlyFans really, really, really got massive amounts of traction was due to the fact that there was also a global pandemic event that led to more people being online, being at home, looking for alternative places to consume this type of content. So if you think about it, why was why was Tim lucky? Why was Tim lucky that a celebrity name dropped his platform in a song? Why was Tim lucky that uh, everybody was online and online activity and people searching for different, you know, adult content? whatever increased dramatically during a global pandemic it's because he kept going it's because he was building things for years and years and years and years and you'll notice that when you continuously build stuff opportunities luck you'll start to you'll start to run into it a little bit more so if you think you're not that lucky if you think the timing isn't right keep going keep building keep trying and eventually if you put the time into something and you put in the effort the timing will eventually be right and luck will eventually find you and this is just because you haven't given up yet so really 
really great lessons from this story for any entrepreneur. Yeah, he started with some, maybe some family money and we don't all have that luxury. But that being said, he could have started with family money and given up after the first venture and just gone to work uh, for somebody. Or perhaps he has so much family money, he never would have had to work. I don't really know. But the point is he didn't give up. And then when he didn't give up over years and iterations and trying and failing, then all of a sudden something hits. Now, everybody's looking at him like he's lucky, like the timing's right, but it's really just because he didn't give up. Anyways, that's it for the OnlyFans story. I hope you enjoyed. If you like this, share it with your friends, family, peers, coworkers, anybody who you think would find this interesting. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify, uh, leave a review if you're listening on iTunes. Um, If you're listening on Spotify, leave a follow. I think those are like the two algorithm metrics that matter. If you're watching this on YouTube, Uh, hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, leave a comment for the algorithm. And, you know, I appreciate you. (laughs) That's all I can say. Have a great day. Hope you enjoy. Talk soon. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. 
Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now, I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professional to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 